Greetings, everyone. Happy Monday. Welcome back. It is Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos, brought to you by betonline.ag today. Betting Chicago is back, and what are we here to talk about other than The Last Dance airing last night on ESPN, episodes one and two. We're going to dive into it. A show, the first two episodes, that was entertaining, disappointing, exhilarating, and infuriating all at the same time, all while us Chicagoans get a chance to walk down memory lane. Joined by my Hoops Honcho guest. My first guest is a man who believes that people don't make podcasts, organizations make podcasts. Mike Choi, how are you today? Good, good, doing real well. I'm, uh, I'm curious to see what your disappointing takes are. Uh, I'll, I, I, will, I will get to that. And my other guest yeah. today, my other Hoops Honcho man on my right, a man who never invited me to the cocaine traveling circus, Aaron Hagel. How are you, buddy? <laughs> What's up, Joey? How you doing today, brother? The conductor of the cocaine circus. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, before we get into some of the more specific topics, let's just get some initial reactions from diehard Bulls fans about how we felt the first two episodes went last night. Choi, we'll open up the floor with you. I mean, uh, guys, like I just had like supreme goosebumps from – that first second, that slow tracking shot of Jordan from behind, just coming closer and closer to him. I mean, just goosebumps throughout. And then, uh, as Aaron knows, because since we grew up together, just, oh, God, just a tremendous walk down memory lane and, and, and thinking of those years watching, like, just those epic Bulls championships. So, yeah, this was uh, – it was amazing. And I can't wait for the rest of the episodes to air. Higgs, what did you think? Yeah, same as Choi. I woke up yesterday. First thing I did was uh, put my Bulls hat on, got ready for Bulls Day, Jordan Day. So I was, uh, yeah, I was geeked up all day. And um, yeah, same thing, you know, like, like a choice. I just took a trip down memory lane, just kind of like that feeling of, you know, where you were in those moments. And, and like, I think the one thing people outside of Chicago don't really know is that, you know, almost everybody called him Michael. Everybody knows him as Jordan around the world, but you know, Bulls fans is called the Michael. Yeah, so we cool. got Michael, you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah, Jordan's the name, but at home, he's Michael. And it was so it was just kind of cool to hear people say Michael again. And, um, yeah, it's just cool, too, for these people who, you know, are too young and you get a chance to see him. Like, you're, uh, you know, this is like the, the two setup episodes. So for those people who are too young uh, who never got a chance to see him, I think it was really good for them to kind of see, like, you know, why he was great and kind of the backstory of it. Yeah, I think for me, like the walk down memory lane, it was just, it was triggering in a positive way, right? Like the oh, yeah. whole, all through the 90s, I hung on this dude's every word, like everything he ever said, whether it was in an ad, a post press conference, and one of those like, come fly with me, Michael Jordan videos. I would hang on this dude's word every time, and he was such an intelligent communicator. And then all of a sudden, he started talking to me in that doc again. I'm like, oh, baby, you know what I mean? Oh, baby, it's back. <laughs> And some of the old familiar stuff, too, of, like, every time they interview an Isaiah Thomas, a Larry Bird, a Magic Johnson, someone that has to reminisce about Michael, there is that undeniable smile that they kind of put on their face, that, like, that whole, like, shake your head, can't believe it when they talk about Mike, like, how special he was. And I, that, for me, really hit home. Seeing some of the highlights, too, of, of games that were played, whether they are won or lost, you know, you, I can kind of – almost put myself in my in the place of like where I was watching that game at the time especially the losses too because I don't know about you but the lo the Bulls lost so infrequently in those final last three championships that I would cry as a kid I would cry <laughs> I would cry when they'd lose because it was so rare and random it, and it was this whole like is today the day why does today have to be the day the Bulls lose and and you know what I mean I, that was I was so emotionally invested that's kind of the stuff that like really just kind of washed back over me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I mean, never there... Sorry, go ahead, Chuck. I was just saying, like, I, I can't recall the last time I've been this excited for a sporting event that is ultimately a non-sporting event. Like, you know, yeah. obviously some of the final games in the championship years, you know. Uh, but, yeah, like, I and, – and I think this is, like, and unfortunately, like, we're in an era right now with, like, you know, the coronavirus and the lockdowns and so forth that like, it's, it's just made the appetite that much more ferocious for this. But like, I, I literally can't imagine and can't think about the last time I've been this excited for anything related to sports. Like, that's not a sporting event. <laughs> and, what, and what's even more incredible is that like, 
I mean, we can talk about now, like the, it, it feels like that there's a proper timing to it, but this thing is 23 years in the making. Right. And so now you get into the whole conversation of, you know, what is, what is the timing for that? And Higgs, I think you brought up a really great point about people that don't know MJ and people that don't know like what it was like to watch him and have him in the league at the time. And even for those that are the LeBron converted that think that he's the greatest player of all time, you know, whether, it, whether it's perfect timing or not, I think is irrelevant. The fact is no matter when this thing came out, people were going to be watching about it and talking about it. And I personally, like, I can't wait to see the next eight hours. I'm kind of sort of wrapping my head around how they're going to get all this into eight hours based on how, based on the material that was released last night. Like, I mean, if you think about it, they're only in, like, when they're trying to retell the story of MJ, they're really only in 1985-86. And we're already two hours into this 10-hour doc. So I'm kind of interested to wrap my head around how, how we're going to pull this off. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I, you know, I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I think these first two episodes and potentially the third and fourth, it's a lot of uh, setup for what we're going to see for the uh, the 97 run. You know, it's a lot of context about Jordan's formative years. Obviously, this is all based around Jordan and obviously the key players. So I think we'll eventually get a pretty quick ramp up. But I think justifiably, you do want that setup to kind of get a sense of what that struggle was to get to these championship years. And then ultimately what it was like, unfortunately for this, this, this final year that they were together. Aaron, what would you say, is there anything that pops up in your head? Like something that you, that you didn't know um, about the doc coming in or something that you watched last night? You're like, Oh, I had no idea that that even happened. Cause I mean, we know we, we, we've read the books. We watched the games. <laughs> We know a lot about the MJ story. Was there something that stood out that you didn't know? Uh, well, from our last podcast, we did the Bulls draft. You guys know I'm not a huge Pippen fan. Um, so I didn't know that he got notified that he was being traded to the Bulls on camera with the Sonics hat on. I didn't know that's, that's how it went down. So that was, to me, kind of interesting. Somebody telling him that he's been traded to the Bulls and he didn't know it. Like, nowadays, that would never happen. Like, you would know what's going on like because your agent's there or whatever but I thought that was kind of interesting and to follow up I mean I think I had somehow um either through therapy or some sort of electric shock treatment forgot that Pippen demanded to be traded and said that he was never going to play for the Bulls again uh for a stretch that I think like lasted two or three weeks at least um during that final season and I you know you kind of go back and I you know, we were doing it, we are talking about during the draft, you know, you really forget, like, kind of what was going on with Pippen at the time and the, the type of physical shape he was in for that final season because they're not even going to get into it right now, but he had severe back problems all throughout the playoffs that year, too, as well. That was an injury-riddled season. Um, so let me kind of, like, maybe spin it backwards for a second here. Our take on... I think in a, in a, in a vacuum, Jerry Reinsdorf in one breath telling Scotty that his seven year contract is a shitty contract. And then in the next clip or breath saying, once you sign that contract, don't ever talk to me again about renegotiating that contract. I think that says a lot about the organization itself. That kind of stuck out to me. What are your guys, what, what are your thoughts on when, when you hear Jerry Reinsdorf talk about stuff like that? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can see both sides of the coin, right? Scotty said he needed the money at the time, so he took the deal. So it's not like he was like, oh, man, this is a really bad deal and I have to sign it. He, he admitted he needed the money. He took care of it. You know, he bought his mom a house, like all that kind of stuff. So on one, on one hand, I kind of agree with Reinsdorf. Like if he didn't like the deal to begin with, don't sign it. You could have negotiated at that time. On the other hand, after winning three championships and well, five by this point, <laughs> you got to pay the guy back. Yeah. yeah, him, Michael, and Phil. And this is part of the reason why I don't like Kraus is because you know they always had to fight for their money, and they made that organization in Reinsdorf hundreds of millions of dollars, increased the valuation of the of the Bulls a hundredfold. So to me, that was the big bummer. It was like just do the right thing pay the man and he didn't do it yeah Troy what was your reaction when you heard Jerry you know Jerry probably I think for the first time ever really kind of 
referencing or talking about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think everyone in, in the Chicago sports scene knows that Jer Jerry Reinsworth for both the Bulls and the White Sox has traditionally been known as a cheapskate. I mean, that's how he runs his organizations. And, you know, I think we'll probably say this a lot in the course of, of, of these podcasts. Um, but, you know, hindsight is 2020. I don't think at any point did, uh, whether it's the organization or Scotty Pippen, realize that, like, that contract was right before these contracts just exploded in money, you know? Uh, contextually, right, I think uh, I was looking this up, like, the salary cap back in those days was roughly around 30 million, you know, to give you context, like now it's like 110 million and that doesn't even include the luxury tax we're going over that. So, you know, I think ultimately I totally agree with Aaron's point, like pay the people what they're worth when they've proven it. But at the time of the contract, it was a fair deal. You know, he just got out of his rookie deal. Um, nobody knew that Scotty was going to become what we know of him today, you know, a top 50 all-time NBA player. Um, and then much less, like I said, the, the greater scheme of like what contracts ultimately came for even kind of scrubs in the NBA. But yeah, 100% agree with Aaron. Like, you know, do right by your players, man, because then, you know, they'll do right by you. And you wouldn't have had all this controversy that surrounded that last season. Yeah, that's where I kind of call bullshit on, uh, on that, the way that he was sort of wrapping his head around that. And, and Aaron, you, and you guys are both right. You know, that is a stigma with Reinsdorf owned sports teams that still exists like to this day. Right. And I can completely imagine if you had gone and just torn up Scotty Pippen's contract and gave him a bunch of money, maybe he had become fat and happy or, you know, the proverbial fat and happy and they maybe had never won the titles that they did. But for me, I just automatically, I hear him talk about that. And then I really automatically just start spinning that forward into the types of decisions the bulls have made since the Jordan era which we all can agree has been, you know, a disaster after a disaster mixed in with the Derrick Rose, mixed in with another disaster on top of that. And what was really funny to me, especially all this Phil talk, was, you know, we don't – obviously they didn't want to bring Phil back because of problems they probably had philosophically in the organization, but they also brought Phil back for $6 million a year. And, of course, Jerry Reinsdorf, Reinsdorf in his head is like, I'm not going to give this guy $6 million over and over and over again. So we're going to bring in our guy, Tim Floyd. So what happened after Tim Floyd, right? Tim Floyd was so undermanned and so inexperienced that they went out and they brought in an NBA guy like Scott Skiles. Didn't give him a ton of money, but they had to reinvest actual millions of dollars back into the coaching position. What happens after that? They go and get Bill Cartwright on the cheap, right? Because they think that they're going to try and build up the franchise and the roster through a guy that's like been there, that knows what's going on. And then after that, they go to Del Negro, then they go to Tibbs, and then they spend a whole bunch of money on Hoiberg. So I just sort of see, like, inconsistencies of, like, where they're allocating their millions of dollars. They try this one thing. It doesn't work. They go in a different direction. And it just sort of seems like this whole big rebuild that they thought they were going to be able to do never really had, like, any sort of solid footing to it. And it just – that's the part that really makes me mad, right, is, like, you know, we were looking at our roster and we were getting older and we were thinking that we were going to have to rebuild and yada, yada, yada. And like, they didn't have a plan for that though. They had no plan in terms of how they were going to rebuild this organization without Phil and, and not paying Scotty any of his money and just literally just, if, if anything, just pissing him off more and more. And that's the part that kind of drives me nuts where it sort of seems like Reinsdorf is positing that they had some sort of long, long look for the franchise when really you know, the moves that they made 15 years after that showed that they really didn't really have that great of a plan. Go ahead, Mike. I mean, it was even worse than that, Joey. I mean, they have that one scene where Jerry Krause goes on local TV and says, I don't care if Phil Jackson wins 82 games. I don't care if he goes 82-0. and 0. He's not coming back next year. This is his last year. I mean, it, it's inconceivable that you have a team that has gone on a six-champion run in eight years and right from get-go you're not you're not even seeing how this team is going to play out you've already set the ultimatum that this is it i mean i i can't think of any other situation in professional sports where you know before the season has even started that management has said we're done we're done we're blowing this up before i mean the can even you think season, of anything? i mean jordan michael had just won the championship and they're showing him in that post game which, to be honest, I, I forgot about. I was probably a little too young, probably riding my bike around the block, shooting off uh, sparkler fireworks and not watching the postgame. 
but Michael's sitting there in the post conference, basically like as if he, as if his boss just told him he had to come in and work on Saturdays, sitting there being like, well, I'm Michael Jordan. Uh, I just won the championship. And I think that I've been here long enough where I think I should be allowed to come back and try and defend that. And I also think I've earned the right to make sure that Phil is my coach. You know what I mean? Just basically like telling your boss, like, you know, fuck off. I'm not doing this. And he already had to start this like PR pitch campaign, like from the beginning before the season, before the summer even started, which was crazy. I mean, it just seemed, uh, and you know, Kraus is going to be made the easy culprit in this, right? But you know, I think in those first two episodes, I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf did a really good job of trying to make himself seem like he's not complicit in all this. And I just don't know if I buy all that. Of course, he's the man with the money. Yes. He's the owner. 100% (laughs) knew the situation. And that's where it's, it's, it's like, to me, you know, obviously he's breaking it down, you know, dollars and cents, right? I still don't understand because let's say throughout the championships, let's say they never win a championship again, right? But you keep that team together. Just by the very fact that you have Michael Jordan on your team, you're going to make billions of dollars, whether it's, you know, in, in, in merchandising. And so I just, I don't understand, even, even aside from the X's and O's, aside from the wins and losses, how that decision made any sense to anybody in that organization. I, I mean, it's still just hard to wrap your head around. And then all of a sudden you kind of see a couple, they showed a couple of the first few sprinkled clips of Michael giving Jerry Krause a hard time. And you just can't help but think that it, that the, the personal side of things got in the way of the business side of things. And uh, I think that's probably like the biggest, the biggest shame of it all. Right. I mean, and that was the thing Jerry Krause would get booed when he'd come out and accept the rings that honestly he should be given a lot of credit for, but his personality got in the way. And it just so happens that his personality tangled with Michael Jordan's personality. And uh, that's just a, I, I just think that that's just a mix that never works out for anyone. Go ahead, Aaron. I was going to say one other thing that kind of surprised me, I don't know about you guys, but the couple of people that said Kraus is like a really nice guy. Like I was pretty surprised that there was people that actually gave him praise because so many people didn't like him. Um, and that was interesting to me that people said he was cool. The other thing I thought too is like, Basically, Reinsdorf was choosing Jerry Krause over Michael Jordan. He he was okay with Krause blowing up the team. So once again, this goes back back to Reinsdorf. He's he owns the team, so this is all goes back to him. You know, Krause is pulling these strings. But if Reinsdorf was like, "Hey, man, don't what are you doing? Don't get rid of this team. Like, don't blow it up," then Krause wouldn't have done that. So he had have gotten the okay from Reinsdorf. Yeah, and they haven't gotten into the stories yet, but it's also this issue, too, as well, of, like, Jerry Krause in the 80s obviously doing things that Jordan didn't like. And I think Jordan began to admit to it in the doc, and I hopefully he'll get a little bit back more into it. But, you know, the first six, seven, eight years that Jordan was in the league, I, I think that he'll admit that he was not the right kind of player, not the right kind of winning player, like an amazing offensive force, a virtuoso entertainer in terms of just a basketball skill, but the way that he was growing his own brand at the time. But example A, like, got pissed off that they traded Charles Oakley for Bill Cartwright. You know, kind of ended up working out in the end, right? Like, the stories about how he wanted, what was it, he wanted to keep Brad Sellers or something. He had a buddy on the team that he wanted to keep and not get rid of. Um, All these different little moves that Kraus made, he hit on the head on a large portion of these deals, bringing in, you know, they, they haven't even gotten to the fact that they brought in guys like Cliff Levingston, Craig Hodges, these little, like, you know, these little role players. Um, you know, as much as Michael Jordan hated Stacey King, they ended up trading him for Luke Longley. You know what I mean? Like, this stuff, this stuff definitely worked out. The way that he shaped the roster was correct. He definitely deserves a lot of credit, but unfortunately his personality, Jerry Krause's personality will never allow him to get that kind of credit. Yeah. I mean, besides, besides draft, you know, he didn't draft Michael, but besides that, I mean, he built that whole team, you know, including getting Phil in there, which I don't know about you guys. I remember at the time being super pissed that they got rid of Doug Collins and were promoting this guy, Phil Jackson. I, I was like super pissed. 
a move that Michael, <laughs> but, you're right, okay. but you're right though. A move that I don't think Michael probably liked at the time. Right. You know, and I think that there was obviously always going to be kind of that push and pull between the two. Um, you know, I just sort of wish they paid Scotty and real quick, are we going to see Horace Grant in any of this? You would imagine that at some point, right, they will they'll have to speak on him. Because it seems like at least in these setup episodes, or, and not that they'll spend each episode on the likes of like Steve Kerr and Luke Longley, but it seems like they're obviously setting up the, the roster and, and, and the players and how they came to be on the team. So you would think Horace would be on there. But, um, you know, I think ultimately the, the, the biggest sense I got, you know, to your point, you can't deny Jerry Krause's contribution to how this roster was built to win those championships. He is, you know, as, as responsible for that as anybody else in the organization. But, uh, you know, ultimately uh, his ego got in the way and his ego, you know, I, I think this whole documentary, at least it's setting up as, it, it's, it's a story of egos. It's Phil Jackson's ego, it's Michael Jordan's ego, it's, you know, Jerry Krause's ego. And now, which really surprised me in talking about surprising things like, I never viewed Scottie Pippen as someone with an extreme ego. But at least, you know, we're starting to get glimpses of that, at least in episode two. Um, you know, you, for me, I always remember Scotty as being the soft-spoken kind of like team player who did, you know, whatever it took. I, I didn't, I, I, this whole thing, whether I just forgot about it or was never really aware of it, of him kind of demanding a trade, of him kind of berating, you know, Jerry Cross. I didn't know this was part of his persona. So that was actually a big thing that came to life for me. Yeah, Scotty's confidence, I think, from the very the early portions of his career, uh, the, the giving him the um, giving him the come fly with me treatment uh, in the beginning of the second episode was great because you go like, oh, yeah, like we know the Jordan story. We know like the shot at North Carolina. You know what I mean? We know the Olympic story. We know all that stuff. But we don't really know a lot of early day Scotty Pippen stories. And to hear that he had that kind of confidence early on in his career was was very surprising for me and what I think is ultimately going to be really interesting and I think we'll be able to talk more about it because I'm sure they're going to talk more about it but the fact that he was so underpaid and how much that hurt him in tandem with him trying to be the Batman to Jordan's you know or be the Robin to Jordan's Batman to get the credit that he deserved you know you go back and like Scottie Pippen's, you know, acts of defiance are pretty well documented. And you could always constantly say that, you know, well, Scottie was a diva or Scottie was pissed. But you kind of go back, you know, even from, you know, sitting those last couple seconds uh, with the Tony Kukoc shot several seasons before. I mean, you know, that was something that was a huge deal at the time on the team and talked about and never, ever left Scottie's legacy. And then you saw those couple years after that, it wasn't that he, you know, he played the straight and narrow, you know, getting that foot surgery before the season started, uh, you know, is kind of a dick move. And it's a, it's a, it's a middle finger to the organization. And um, I just think a lot of that stuff, you know, you can justify it by saying that he's underpaid, but you know, yeah, like his personality was much more complex than we thought. Go ahead, Aaron. Uh, the one thing I thought was interesting when uh, it was when Michael was talking about Scotty getting the surgery and how he thought it was kind of selfish and how he was hurting the team and he couldn't believe he was doing it. And I totally get where he's coming from, 100%. It's like, come on, dude. You could have just done this over the summer. You could have been ready. Um, but from Scotty's point, you know, he was getting underpaid. And that's one thing that Jordan could not understand is how little money Scotty had. So, yeah, of course Jordan went into play. And Scotty's like, hey, dude, yeah, because you're worth already $100 million. I'm not anywhere near that. So, yeah, it's easy for Jordan to say, hey, you should just come play when you have that kind of Jordan money that Scotty didn't have. Anywhere does, this, uh, does this change the no tip and Pippin narrative? Just a touch? <laughs> it makes sense now, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Well, you know what's amazing? Like, right, like, yeah, to that point that Aaron just made, like, 122nd highest paid player in the NBA when he was playing, you know, and the sixth highest player on the Bulls. So I'm trying to think, because obviously MJ, I'm trying to think who's maybe, probably Rodman, right? But whose contracts were higher than Pippen's on that roster if he's only the sixth highest player on the team? So that's what's ridiculous. Scott Burrell. <laughs> Luke Longley, Rodman, 
I think Luke was up there. I'm guessing Har- Ron Harper. Har- Harper was making more money because Harper signed something like a $19 million deal, uh, like a four-year $19 million deal, which, believe it or not, folks, was more money than Scottie Pippen was making <laughs> at that particular time. Um, so what I think I want to get into a little bit is I do definitely want to talk about like where we are in the season at that particular time, that last dance season. But, you know, I'm going to get to that in a second because cocaine circus. Um, (laughs) um, Great nickname. Explains a lot. Kind of hard to, you know, obviously, you know, when you're playing in front of 400, 500 fans a night, gets a little sleepy out there. You do need to pick me up. And uh, it seems like the Chicago Bulls were um, (laughs) – we're not the only ones that uh, that were victim to the cocaine craze in the NBA in the late seventies, early eighties. No way, man! That was a different era. Uh, and Joe, you're the one to tell me about that basketball love story on ESPN. You know, I watched a bunch of those, and that that was just like a different era, man. Like completely different era. Not only just partying, but like basketball was so physical. Like fights would break out all the time. They might get thrown out of the game. They're coming back next game. But it was just a completely different era that, like, even us growing up don't even really know. And uh, I it, – it, it is really interesting, too, that I, I actually really believe the concept, the narrative that they put onto the doc that Jordan abstained from that behavior those first few years that he was in the league. Um, and I thought that was kind of the most interesting thing is you do sort of, like – forget that Michael Jordan is a man for a second. And I thought uh, his mom reading that letter from college was, was poignant and cool. Cause you're like, Oh yeah. At some point this kid is just an 18, 19 year old kid uh, with really nothing to, with no really other, you know, skills per se than just a basketball player, a kid that loves basketball. You know what I mean? At the time. And um, I thought that part was really interesting. And I do believe that, that he was not in the cocaine circus. Uh, I do believe that Jordan indulged later on in his career and other things. I'm not saying cocaine, but you know what I mean? Maybe some booze, a couple cigars, a couple games of cards. But uh, I don't know. That was, one of my, that was one of my favorite moments. And the way that Jordan reacted to it, too, as well. Mike, go ahead. Well, I kind of have a different take on that moment because I think kind of like you on the surface level, I took it as, oh, like Michael is so – pure of basketball heart and was of one mind and what he wanted to do that he's like yeah I, I'm too busy to to like partake but like what was telling to me that he said something that basically to the effect of you know whether I was uh uh in taking a part of it or not if we got busted I was going to get busted just as much as they were so to me I read that as almost he was aware very early on in his career of the image he wanted to portray which you know, throughout the years, he's he's kind of got blasted for it in terms of like this image he wants to portray to the public. And so to me, I kind of read that as, and I don't fault him for it, but being very calculating as, hey, if I get busted, this is going to tarnish my image to the public, my image to the city. So I kind of, I, I read it a little bit more of, of maintaining his image more so than this idea of like, you know, um, basketball is my only focus and I, I don't want to partake of any of that stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. He definitely... You know, as his career grew, you know, you hear the stories all the time about, you know, how wild Michael Jordan was and how really no one found out about it. Um, so that was obviously an acquired skill on his part. And um, I want to ask real quick, and then we're going to go to a break. I was like, everyone's just like, you're going to get the real Michael Jordan. Are we just getting the tip of the iceberg here of the real Michael Jordan how did you guys how did you guys react and feel about some of those moments where you got to see him you know getting on players of practice just a look you know what I mean guy asks for an autograph and just the look that he gives the guy you know what I mean is the thousand yard stare is like you know worth a thousand words what'd you guys think about that well for me like I guess this I guess I have a question for you guys then because and you know, obviously growing up in Chicago and kind of, you know, the cult of Michael Jordan, I, there was never a time where I didn't think that Michael was, you know, in terms of for the better cause, but a ruthless 
person when it came to competitiveness, how he treated other teammates, you know, the, the him hitting Steve Kerr, punching Steve Kerr, which I'm sure will be talked about in future episodes, you know, that was lore. So I, I guess I'm, I'm curious that like this, none of this, uh, the sentiment that like, oh, we're going to find out like how cutthroat Michael Jordan is in, in this series, like that is not surprising to me. So I guess my question to you guys is like, it, from a national standpoint, does he have a more, I guess, squeaky clean image? Because I always thought like, you know, the, the thing that made him so, you know, singular in his ability and a, his success was because of the fact that he would do anything to tear your heart out if the man he was going to win. That's actually a really good question. Let's, we're going to take a break real quick and then we're going to come back and we are going to talk about that. We're going to do a break real quick right here on Believe in Betting Chicago. Today's Last Dance Pod on Believe in Betting Chicago is brought to you by betonline.ag. While you're waiting out at home this month, you can still have some fun by betting at betonline.ag. No NBA, no NHL, no MLB. You might think there's nothing to bet on, but BetOnline has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. There's not just that. There's eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, upcoming election, the upcoming spelling bee, or maybe how many times Michael Jordan makes fun of Jerry Krause in a certain episode. There's still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's right again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100, M-Y-P-O-D-100, BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Back on the pod, I want to reopen it back up to you guys with the question that Choi posted or posed before the end of the break. And there's a lot of different revisionist history going on about Jordan, who he was on the court, off the court, what kind of guy he was. He was ruthless. You have no idea how ruthless he was. Uh, and I want to throw it out to you guys. In your opinion, in your own individual opinion, but going back to the 90s, how did you exactly view Michael, did you view him as a squeaky clean guy? Did you view him as, you know, the ruthless dictating asshole that he was on and off the court or somewhere in between? I say somewhere. Sorry, go ahead, Troy. Go ahead, ahead, Aaron. You got it, man. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say somewhere in between. I mean, I think we were real young and he was still, you know, real young with the Bulls. It was like, you know, he's this good guy and all this stuff. But as he became like this global superstar, I mean, it, it'd be hard for anybody to be a normal person. That guy could go out in public, you know? I mean, you get mobbed. So I think because of that, that hardens you a little bit. He was already super competitive as it was. So, and he was also known as the biggest trash talker in the game when he was playing. So, yeah, I don't think I thought of him as squeaky clean. I didn't think of him as like the super mean guy. Um, you know, when, when the info came out that he popped current practice, I was like, oh, geez, man, that's not cool. Um, so I think that's that's the thing, too, is him, him and Kobe, I think, are very similar with that competitive edge. LeBron is way more of a nicer guy. So I always think that's one of the biggest differences between them. LeBron seems like a genuine nice guy that will take people under his wing. Michael and Kobe, they're so elite that there was nobody else near them. They just they, they couldn't handle it. Yeah, what did you what do you, what were your thoughts back in the day, Mike? Well, you know, obviously in the moment, you know, this mind you, we were kids, and it's this idea that, like, you know, growing up in Chicago, Michael Jordan was God; he could do no wrong. So probably in the moment, you know, I probably didn't think he was, you know, this guy who is who is, uh, you know, cunning and 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 very aware of his brand. Um, but obviously, we've had 20 years plus to reflect and hear the news and stories about how we went about protecting his brand throughout the years. So, um, you know, in the moment, no, I, you know, I probably did think he was, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. You know, greatest guy on the planet. But since then, you know, you you realize just as you grow older that people are more complex and have more depth to them than just this exterior image. So, again, like since then kind of all these stories that have come out about, you know, how we, you know, how the real Michael Jordan conducted himself. Um, no, so none of this surprises me, this idea that like, oh, we are going to find out like all the, the dirty details of Michael Jordan's life. Um, yeah, so none of that's going to be, unless they have some ground shattering stuff that we've never heard before, and any of the bits and pieces, I don't think will surprise me. Yeah, I can't agree more. Um, I mean, 
when you first get exposed to Michael Jordan, right? You get like the want to be like Mike Gary commercials, you know, the Michael Jordan's playground where you're like, oh, he just showed up at a playground and starts shooting hoops with a kid. Like that could be me. But anybody who has watched, you know, as much Michael Jordan basketball as I think we all have combined, it is not um, a revelation that the dude, the dude's competitive level took him to places that didn't necessarily we're all hunky dory nice all the time i mean me personally my favorite memories of mike are those moments when he was kind of a dick on the court right like dunking over ewing and then like standing over him the fights remember the fights that he'd get with reggie miller when they were like clawing each other's face and he had like that big scrat- <laughs> he had that huge scratch on his face you know what i mean from going after it those nights when like you know, he hated the Knicks so much, and he's nose-to-nose with Xavier McDaniel. And then, great. like, you know, and then, yeah, two games later, you know, something inside of you is just like, all right, Mike, you know, MJ's going to drop 55 just because he's, he's mad now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he's pissed. Yeah, the season that Matumbo won Defensive Player of the Year, and it was the finger-shaking. He had the finger-shaking trademark. And what does Mike do in the first round? He dunks on him and then wags, wags his finger at him. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many moments that showed – that he wasn't just like, yeah, like the most, he wasn't like the rah-rah, pat you on the butt, you know, try as hard as you can and I'll still love you at the end of the game type of teammate. And I don't think any of us had any illusions towards that. And I think it's really funny now that everyone's just like, oh, you don't realize how ruthless he was. It's like, I think we like, I think we kind of got it, man. And for me personally, like I took this into sports as a competitive kid growing up that like when you compete, and you lose or if you compete and you don't match up skill wise or athletically or, or maybe even effort wise, like, you know, that shouldn't make you sad. That should piss you off. Like, like MJ taught me to like, if you weren't good enough at something that should make you mad, that shouldn't make you, you know, that shouldn't make you sad. That shouldn't make you resign to your own fate. That should make you mad to try and go back and, and do it, do it even better the next time. And then you come back and and then you're ready to roll. And I think a lot of that has to do with his personality that I think he showed plenty. And now we're going to get plenty of, you know, great audio of him, obviously like digging a grave for Scotty Burrell and then kicking him into it. But (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I think it's going to add a little bit more detail to the context. Uh, But I agree with both you guys. Go ahead, Mike. Well, you know, it's funny when you mention uh, how he would go out of the pace. It's still one of the defining moments I think of is when Jordan literally choked Reggie Miller in the middle of a game and like just shoved him back while he was choking him. So, um, but you know, again, we, you know, we talk about like, you know, people are more than just these myths, right? And even, even from those last three P, uh, that last three P championship run, you know, the tarnish was starting to come off. Cause um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I, I remember even at that time, the rumor was, you know, and again, I wonder if they'll delve into this at all, but like that, you know, obviously it took the year and a half sabbatical to play baseball. But part of the, the one of the biggest rumors in NBA history as well was that actually a suspension by David Stern, like undercover because of all his gambling, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, issues. So I mean, yeah, even even in his last couple of years, like that 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 luster of this, you know, this uh, 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 you know, can't do wrong guy was coming off. I definitely think the other thing that's going to be bubbling up to the surface very soon is. All the out of all the six championships, that last one was easily the hardest. Um, the scariest, for the sure. scariest for sure. Um, you know, you you look at the numbers now. They went through that first month of the season in the first two episodes of the doc last night, and they were twelve and eight after that first month. Now, granted, did they go fifty and twelve after that? Yes, they did. And when Scotty <laughs> came back, did they at one point win like thirteen in a row and like nineteen out of twenty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did do that. But at the same time, I, I have this – that memory comes flooding back of like, hey, just get us in the playoffs and, you know, everything will be fine because Mike, Mike will figure it out in the end. But that last season was definitely um, not a cakewalk by any stretch. I think um, even with all this, you know, Mike, Mike can do anything, I think if they did come back and try and win that seventh one, I think it would have been uh, really, 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 really hard. And, um, I mean, obviously it's just a testament to who he was, but just to your point, Troy, like, I mean, I think, I think MJ was kind of 
slowly maybe starting to maybe break down just a little bit. Remember he had that wrist issue when he did come back with Washington. It was his knees that really kind of gave out. He didn't really quit because he couldn't do it anymore. He was still averaging 20 points a game. It was really his knees that were bothering him. And, uh, you know, I guess it's the whole, like, we'll never know thing. But I don't know. As a Bulls fan, do you want to know? Would you ever really want – like, is it perfect the way that the bow is tied right now? Or do you guys somehow sort of wish they had gone for seven? Yeah, I mean, the only thought well, – I mean, hundreds... Oh, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, Aaron no, go no, first. go ahead, Troy. Okay. Um, well, I was um, just going to say <laughs> – Aaron, Aaron, go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they could have gone for seven, but you know, the the what if to me is always those two years that Jordan left to go play baseball. You know, if he had stayed, could they have done the minimum eight peat? That's the question. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, that was the other one was they showed, uh, or I wait, I think I so uh, precursor. I've been watching all of the Bulls championship DVDs uh, leading up to the Last Dance. Uh, so I watched like Learning to Fly, watched Untouchables, I watched Three P, watched Unbeatables, all this other stuff. And I think after the fourth or the fifth one, um, after the fourth or fifth one, Jordan's on the top of the banner and he does the LeBron thing, where he does the you know four, then he puts up the finger five, then he puts up six, and then he does seven, and then he does eight, and you're like, oh shit, he was. I mean, Jordan wasn't – that's not – he's not playing to the crowd on that. He's a 1,000% thinking about that. And, yeah, I mean, we'll never, we'll never know from the baseball side of things. I mean, let's be honest. I think the Rockets would have given him a really hard time. And, honestly, would they have won eight championships if the Knicks just kept beating the shit out of them year after year after year after year, playing game seven after game seven after game seven? Um, and you go – even if you look in this last championship here, if you look at the box, just the box scores of the games, you know, they only had like two or three blowouts that playoff series. They had one against the jazz. Uh, I think they had one against like the Hornets or no, I'm sorry. They had one against the Pacers, but all those other games, the New Jersey games, they're all close. The Hornets games, they're really close. The Pacers games, except for maybe one is really close. And all those Utah games, like, we're talking three, four points every single game. Those are hard fought games every single time. So, you know, it's fun. It's fun to think about, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I don't know if they would have won 94, 95. I'm not the bull. I'm not the bulls fan. That's like easy, easily would have won. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, I'll, I'll argue actually that they wouldn't have, um, you know, I think, uh, and Aaron could probably speak to this cause he's, he's the, the most athletic of us. So he's played basketball organizationally longest of all, all of us, but like, man, you couldn't have gone through, in my opinion, an eight year grind of 82 regular season games and another, you know, 20 to 30 playoff games uh, for eight straight years without that just totally, even more so physically, mentally wearing you down. So if anything, I think that time off for Jordan was exactly what he needed. And I'll even argue the fact that maybe it wasn't what Pippen's uh, uh, purpose was when he basically had the surgery late into that 97 season. But I'll even argue that maybe that two months off for Scotty was the best thing that could have happened to the team as well. Because unlike Jordan, Scotty played through that grind for those eight years. And even that full year that Jordan was gone, they if it weren't for a couple of bad calls, they probably would have gone to the championship that year. So, you know, he didn't really have any time off, too. So to have two months off in the regular season, when ultimately all that matters is the playoffs, I, I think that actually served Scotty well that last championship year. Yeah, and that's what's funny, too. Like, you look at, um, you look at what Scotty did. Uh, you know, so Scotty missed those first, whatever, two, three months of that final season. You know, came back and was pretty much Scotty Pippen. You know, averaged 19 points a game. Field goal percentage was down a little bit. I think it was like 44, 45%. The numbers, you know, the rebounds down, maybe like a, a rebound here, down like an assist there. But pretty much came back as Scottie Pippen. That following year got traded to Houston, and then he got traded to Portland after that. You know, really important player on some really good Portland teams. But, you know, Scotty kind of fell off a cliff after that 97-98 season in terms of elite-level play. I mean, if he was a fantasy player – you know, we're talking, you know, we're talking a guy that like gets pushed down the road 
at least two, three rounds, you know what I mean, before he gets really taken again. You know, I know he was – I loved watching him on those Portland teams, but would you dare say that he was the elite player that he was after that 97-98 season? I don't think so. And to your point, Joy, I think it was maybe those 94-95 years carrying the weight all that time and then dealing with those injuries those last couple years, you know, that – you know, who knows? You know, who knows if they could have – if they really could have kept going the way that, the way that they were going. And whether the team would have been able to lean more on a guy like Tony Kukoc. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's tough to say. Well, they should have at least tried, though. That's the thing. Like, you can't win a championship and then break up the team. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. At least give them the right to defend the title. And if they don't do it, then you can blow up the team. But just to blow it up is, yeah. It's just, to me, there was, the one thing I just kept thinking about last night with a lot of this was just unnecessary unnecessary drama, unnecessary, you know, messing with Scotty and all the stuff that the Bulls management was just doing. It was just, yeah, unnecessary. What is your favorite Michael Jordan um, insult from last night? We got any favorites? Uh, well, for me personally, I, I don't know. I'm sure some people felt the same way. I, I it didn't sit right with me, even though he doesn't like Krause. You know, I'm somewhat of a tall guy. I'm 6'5". And I just <laughs> a layup joke? Make, make it fun of, like, a little dude. I just would never do that. But then again, I've never hated anybody uh, like Michael Hayden Krause. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Asking him if he's going to go do some layups and then telling him that we, were, we, better, <laughs> we better go out and lower the rim. I mean. So mean. It's Jordan, though, dude. Now, Michael. Now, Michael, would you deem that to be a bit unnecessary, like like a mediator <laughs> with them or something? I do like the. Uh, I think we're going to get a lot more um, excellent um, Scott Burrell moments um, when they go. Congratulations on your first championship, Scott. And Scott looks over at Mike and, and says something along the lines of like, "Hey, Mike, I'm a I'm a champion," <laughs> and the look that he gives Scott Burrell. <laughs> It's so amazing. Well, there, there was that moment last night on the bench. I forgot who it was. It was like a younger dude who was sitting next to Jordan and somebody else. And I, I forgot who it was. He gave like the one guy a hug and he looks at Jordan and Jordan's just like. That's the moment. That's the moment. like a that. death stare. And it totally reminded me of like, sorry, go ahead. He goes, saying, Mike, that, can I get a hug? Yeah. Yeah, 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 Mike, can I get a hug? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he just gives him that look, man. Like the same look that Kobe would give one of the younger guys like. Death stare, man. Yeah, yeah. That that to me, more so than any of the insults that we could hear, like that's what I always remember, Michael, about like just that stare. Like I don't know if anybody had more of a vicious stare than Michael Jordan because you just it's like a mafia it. boss. He's terrifying. Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm I'm done with you. It's literally like, yeah. And then because I also remember when they showed the highlight of uh, the one the one look of just like pure like, what are you guys doing? Look, was uh, they were playing against the Clippers. It was in that uh, 97 year when Pippen was on in the beginning. And uh, it's that it's really quick, but like Brent Barry is guarding him. And just for that second, you can tell that somebody didn't, uh, didn't run off the screen properly or something. And he just has that look of like, you know, just like, you're the worst, you know, like just whoever that player was, he just looked at him like, I can't rely on you, man. You're just the worst. So yeah, his looks were all time. And I hate to say it, but you know, I'm still on team Mike with all this stuff. Like all the clips of him, like, I'm uh, telling Tony Kukoc that he's like, I'm going to scream at you all day, basically, until you get it right. And, like, yelling at Harp, like, what are you doing? Like, I mean, you kind of go back and, like, I remember, like, Tony Kukoc was was an excellent six-man, a great shooter, um, and honestly, like, a pretty clutch dude and a really good passer. But I'll tell you, Tony Kukoc did something stupid, I think, at least three times every single game that he, like, ever played, like, without fail. And so I can completely like, I don't know. I'm just on, I'm on team Mike. I don't think I was like, Oh, you should have been nicer. No, I don't think so. I think he's uh, I think he's just appropriately, appropriately nice. Um, on a scale of one to 10, um, how buttoned up do you think Phil Jackson is right now in terms of information, revealing information at this time? That's still early, man. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. So far, he's been very diplomatic, in my opinion. And if I know anything about Phil Jackson and reading his books and watching countless interviews and stuff, he can snipe with the best of them. 
and uh you know has no problem throwing out attaching names to moments and things that happen and uh yeah i was like i was like oh that's a pretty that's a pretty reserved phil jackson for those first two episodes in my opinion yeah to your point yeah to your point on that like the thing that through the course of this series that'll be really interesting to me is how candid people will actually get uh because you know uh, anytime you have the camera on you obviously there's there's uh, a sense of self-preservation there's a sense of especially with these guys you know a sense of keeping your legacy so that's what i'm really interested in is seeing uh seeing how candid they'll get it you know from all accounts michael will get pretty candid but like all these ancillary people that's what i'll be interested in because you know like and to some degree i can't fault them because at some point you're 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 protecting yourself and you're protecting your own image but uh yeah to your point like phil was very much uh playing the role of the diplomat at least in these early episodes so sure. far yeah and in and in the realm of uh speaking of candid are we gonna get a uh are we gonna get an episode dedicated solely to the worm or wh- where are we how, how is this trending right now do you think yeah well i think episode three is pretty much rodman's episode from what i've read so um but so i just think about back to phil jackson yeah he could have blasted jerry Krause last night when you know they reveal a story about how jerry Krause invited everybody to his daughter's wedding including tim floyd and then didn't invite phil jackson even if that was just like uh, a strictly from a pr standpoint he should have invited phil jackson at that point phil could have just been like fuck this guy man but like the fact that he held back kind of makes me think maybe he will be you know, yeah, I had a through. I had a moment of empathy there for Jerry Krause, just him trying to like trying to get inside of his mind and project like, all right, I'm gonna invite the whole team, and then I'm gonna invite my fishing buddy Tim Floyd, and they're gonna bond at my wedding, and we're gonna look back on this day and been and been like, that's when Tim really bonded with the boys. Was at my wedding, over over, <laughs> jump up and shout now, or like in between like the finger foods or whatever. And yeah, obviously clearly backfired. And I don't know, man, nothing like a lot of this stuff has made me mad. We've talked a lot about things that, you know, you know, uh, all the, the distractions, all the chaos and other, nothing made me more mad in those two episodes last night than a picture of Tim Floyd. Nothing just yeah. nothing infuriated me more than that doofus's face. Um, just sitting there you know and then you well, the, move it 20 years and you're like oh yeah they did it again with fred hoiberg but yeah go ahead mike well just the greatest what if to this documentary series unfortunately would have been had they done this a couple of years earlier when jerry Krause was still alive because i think he passed away in 2017 um by all accounts this series finally got greenlit in 2018 so to have his perspective and his commentary would have been really interesting, really interesting to see what his take was reflecting back on those years. But unfortunately, you know, just because of the timing of when this all came out, you know, that, that would have made for some compelling, you know, crosstalk between the different stories if, uh, if he had still been alive to participate. Um, well, guys, two episodes in, a lot to take in, a lot to sort of like get our, our see if we can get our footing on how this thing is going to go. Um, we're going to go with some parting thoughts here in just a second. And I think the hope is like as these things go along, we might be able to do a pod per episode, guys. We'll see how it goes. And then there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of info. This, my, I'll start off with my initial thoughts of my, my biggest fears right now is that we're already two hours into a 10 hour documentary, you know, and in terms of the story of Jordan, we're only in 1985, you know, there's just so much information that I want. And every Bulls fan wants this thing to be a hundred hours instead of 10. You know, my biggest fear right now is 10 hours going to be enough to, to cover all this. I think that was my biggest kind of my, my biggest walk away with it right now. Like, you know, is, is one hour on Scottie Pippen enough you know what I mean? Um, some uh, some parting thoughts from you guys. Just some some things that you're hoping to see. Just uh, yeah, I mean, just your ultimate feelings of the first two episodes. I mean, we've got eight more to go. Um, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts? We can start with Mike if you want, or we'll go Aaron first. It's all good. Uh, well, I was just gonna say, uh, as far as things to look forward to, I think next week's episodes I'm pretty pumped about. Um, I wasn't necessarily the biggest. Rodman fan. I mean, I liked him a lot. 
but I just hope they show how good of a basketball player he was. Because I think so many people that don't really watch basketball or kind of just know Robin from being this crazy outlandish dude don't really know he's one of the best rebounders in NBA history. So that's the one thing I hope they really kind of go over next week with his episode. And then with the Pistons episode, I'm maybe more pumped about that than anything because, you know, we've talked about it before, but, you know, we couldn't beat the Pistons. We couldn't beat the bad boys. And when we finally did, to me, that was like winning the championship. So I'm really, really pumped to see this Pistons episode because they, I, to this day, except for Joe Dumars, I don't like any of those guys. Oh, yeah. Even when John Sally came over. Or uh, James Buddha Edwards. I was like, what, 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 are they, what are these guys doing here? Get them out of here. Get them out of here. Uh, Mike, uh, uh, thoughts on the first two episodes, things that you're looking forward to seeing, anything you like? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's some interesting things that I took away from episode one. One, uh, Roy Williams, I think, was the unsung MVP of episode one, man. He had some hot takes that were amazing. That, that, that quote where it goes... Uh, you know, uh, he's the only player that I knew who could just turn it, you know, on and off. I mean, he never turned it off. Like, he that never was like, turned it off. That was great. That was great. Um, I thought it was really interesting that uh, Dolores Jordan kept referring to uh, James Jordan as Mr. Jordan. I thought I thought that was kind of like, oh, like every time she said Mr. Jordan, I had to kept, oh, like she's talking about Michael's dad. Um, you know, uh, it was interesting to me that uh, – Jordan, if you, I, I don't know if you remember in his practice footage at UNC, but he was wearing Adidas. So, like, I was thinking the whole time, like, oh, man, like, Adidas, we should go back in time and do that deal over again. <laughs> uh, so, um, and then uh, in terms of uh, the one thing, <laughs> the one thing that stood out to me in episode two, when they kind of recapped uh, playing against Boston, you know, Jordan's, you know, famous 63 game and the 49 game before that was, he like totally destroyed Rick Carlisle in one move, and the announcer goes, "Rick Carlisle wants his mommy." <laughs> and he's like, "I just died laughing on that." Um, and then uh, overall, like uh, Aaron, Aaron's the hip hop master of the three of us, so I'm sure he'll be able to speak more of this. But I thought the music choice for these two episodes were amazing. Yeah. yeah so like in episode one, when we're yeah. showing like this highlights of the rookie year, when it's Eric B and Rock Kim. And then, you know, an episode two with uh, LL Cool J. So, yeah, some, some good props to the music supervisor on this series. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I thought the exact same thing. And it came with, uh, yeah, Ain't No Joke by Eric, Eric B. and Rock Kim. And I was like, almost lost my shit. Because it's like such a cool way to do it because that was like the era that was coming out, you know. Like rap music at that time was, you know, starting to become popular, you know, way, way, you know, back then. And it was like this new thing, this new player, this new music, you know, and like Troy was saying episode two, LL Cool J, I'm bad coming. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool, dude. Cause yeah. And it just made me think like why more current NBA players don't use old school hip hop music. Cause it hits so hard. Yeah. I think a couple, a couple of things that I'm really interested to see one, I'm very impressed with, you know, clearly I think this goes without saying that they were going to get some really, interesting knowledgeable people that are around the Jordan era to be taught to be able to talk about the Jordan era and I think like the fact that they have like Will Bond and Sam Smith and they got all these guys that were right you know the, the journalist side of things to be able to talk about it is great kind of interested to see you know how they continue to mine the other players during that era like are we going to hear from Carl Malone are we going to hear from John Stockton at any point about this like would be kind of really interested to hear about that um, are we going to hear from Byron Russell? Do we really need to? I don't know. Who knows? We'll see what happens. The other one too is, and I keep hammering on this is I'm just really interested of like, I want it all, man. You know, I want, I want a, I want a 10 hour documentary about Scotty. I want a 20 hour documentary about Mike. And then I want a 50 hour documentary about <laughs> just the bull season, you know, and I'm keep trying to figure out how we're going to cram all this into that 10 hours because as you alluded to earlier, Troy, and I, I hope that they do, I think a lot of the more exclusive footage of that season, that actual behind-the-scenes stuff, we're going to start to really begin to see in the middle meat part of this whole 10-hour run that we have. But at the same time, you know, if you're going to dip into some of this Jordan story, I really want to hear about that, that era from the Dream Team 92 after winning two in a row 
and stuff really starts to get hard and the grind of the celebrity and everything really just blows out of proportion, that dream team season into the winning the third one, into him retiring, into those one and a half seasons when Scotty left, into Jordan coming back and Jordan losing, and then the, that stretch of time, not just in Jordan's life, but in the Bulls organization life, really set up not only the 72-win season, but the three championships that they went after that. And, like, that is – that, if anything else, I think was a huge catalyst because Jordan came back pissed off, right, and then created one of the greatest regular season teams of all time. And it seems like they're going to try and do the timeline where they sort of talk about that stuff, but I really hope that they take the time to really kind of get into – that era of his career because everyone always talks about the 80s in the dunk contests they always talk about magic versus michael and those titles and then basically it just kind of zips to the return 72 wins and then you don't even really talk about those final two jazz championships so i'm just like as a bulls fan i'm just considered is there enough time do we have enough time to talk about all this stuff that's my only like my only thought and worry right now because i just wish that there was more and more and um, I will say I also watched the first 12 minutes of that triangle series, uh, the detail triangle series last night <laughs> until, until my beautiful wife, who I love very much, told me to turn that shit off because uh, it was it was it was it was detail. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. It's very detailed. But watching the triangle offense was kind of a it was sort of a beautiful thing to watch how they worked kind of back cuts and how the triangle wasn't always necessary, like necessarily post guy and two wing players it was a guy at the top of the key and it's guy at the free throw line and i mean it was really funny like phil jackson was like at the end of several plays like and then we get a perfect we get an opportunity for a jump shot here and it's like a mid-range jumper something that doesn't exist in the nba anymore uh something if you shoot a mid-range jumper in the nba uh you get benched uh so uh yeah i don't know man just tons of thoughts and i have a feeling that we're going to have uh plenty to talk about on these reaction pods moving forward um any final thoughts guys and then we're gonna go you know for just, me, i just funny. i just can't sorry go ahead Choi. i was just saying for s- me <laughs> mike you go first <laughs> uh for me it's it's amazing that like i think when i first heard about this project happening i was very much like I, 10 hours of the you know 97 bulls like uh, is, is, is there gonna be enough content for that and now after seeing the first step, two episodes like give, give me 30 man give yeah. me 40 episodes so um yeah so that that's gonna be uh that yeah just right off the bat knew that like uh uh this will satiate every even if you're a casual basketball fan will satiate everyone and can i just say when they started playing serious by the alan parsons project at the end of episode one like literally I, I i have goosebumps right now thinking about that again like is there a more iconic song associated with a sports franchise than that song in chicago bulls so goosebumps man every time uh final thoughts aaron yeah no it's like it was like uh two gigantic presents on christmas like i still can't believe they did this and i can't believe that they pushed it up you know i remember talking about this with you guys what a year ago year and a half ago or something be like oh man i can't wait for this to come out like a year and a half and it's here so it's just like like i said i woke up yesterday put my bulls head on right away it was bulls day all day yesterday and i told i told melissa i was like i'm not doing anything for those two hours i'm not getting anything i'm sitting on the couch that's it and it was awesome and i can't wait for the next day yeah it's just something uh that we're just going to just it's going to wash over us and we're just going to bathe in it we're going to bathe in it for as long as we possibly can uh thank you so much for joining us today you guys the thing that i also we didn't get to today but something to keep in mind for the next pod we got to do like a whole segment i almost forgot i don't even know how in my mind i almost forgot but i almost forgot the whole black socks black shoes uh uniformity of the bulls playoff runs those final couple seasons and how awesome that was so it's just something to think about last i totally forgot i was like oh yeah they did that and oh yeah that was amazing like even luke longley had black socks and black shoes on which was incredible um well that's gonna do it you guys that's that's the buzzer that means we're done thank you so much for joining us you guys uh i'm believing bad in chicago my name is joey christopoulos joined by my hoops honcho buddies mike Choi, aaron hagel we're going to come back. We're going to do a reaction pod for, um, 
I think each of the episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks. So plenty of time to walk down memory lane and reminisce and just talk about all great things that are the 1990s Chicago Bulls. Thanks for joining us, boys. And uh, we will uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you so much for joining us. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.